You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. You're listening to Metamorphosis, a podcast designed to help medical students navigate their medical careers. Today's episode is another installment of our resident series, where we're interviewing residents with the aim of learning about their path to residency and the specialty they ended up pursuing. My name is Adam. And my name is Aiden. On today's episode, we will be chatting with Dr. Alexa Mordhorst, a first-year vascular surgery resident out at UBC and the founder of clinicalanatomy.ca. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Alexa. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Now, for people like my Time Crunch co-host, Adam, who haven't yet been in an OR and don't know what vascular surgery is, how would you describe it? Um, Pretty much the best surgical subspecialty (laughs) on the planet is how I would start to describe it. Um, But more realistically, um, vascular surgery is the surgery done on every aspect of the circulatory system. So we work on arteries and veins. Uh, Classically, although it does vary from institution to institution, um, pretty much anything outside of the heart that's a blood vessel, we will operate on. Uh, So we are from the neck to the tip of the toes. Um, And yeah, we deal with all kinds of stuff, whether it's venous pathology, whether it's arterial aneurysms, arterial occlusions requiring bypasses, um, acutely ischemic limbs, anything that involves any segment of the vascular system, that's what we operate on. Cool. Thank you for opening my eyes to that. Um, yeah, I can confirm that that definitely helped me out. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into how you ended up deciding on vascular surgery, I want to take you all the way back to your decision to pursue medicine. Was this something that was always on your radar? Um, yes, but for reasons I don't know why. Um, nobody in my family is in medicine or surgery, but from a super young age, um, like literally five years old, I just was obsessed with becoming a surgeon, not a doctor, a surgeon. Very, very specific. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's always been on my radar. I think like growing up, my grandparents, I guess, were in the hospital quite a bit. So we were sort of exposed to the hospital atmosphere. But super interesting, like my sister grew up hating anything that was related to medicine at all, but I just grew up with only the focus of getting to med school and becoming a surgeon as my as my only goal. So yeah, it's been on my radar for a little bit. <laughs> so something you've told us in the past is that you have a background in the performing arts. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that because it's such a unique background to have going into medicine. Yeah, um, performing arts was my entire life uh, outside of school. Um, From a super young age, both my sister and I uh, were super competitive dancers. Um, And then just when I got a little bit older, found out that I was, you know, sort of okay at singing. Um, So my life kind of took a bit of a musical theater route. Um, But yeah, that was pretty much my entire life. And a lot of my friends um, took it sort of um, professionally and made it uh, their career. And there was a very small, small segment of my life when I thought, mm, maybe, maybe this is what I want to do. That lasted maybe two days. <laughs> and then I went back onto that medical school train. Um, but I still love the performing arts. If I can't, um, you know, it's kind of hard to be involved in shows. And I've certainly not been as active in that uh, world as I would love to. Um, but I love, you know, even being a consumer of anything uh, musical, um, creative performance wise I love it so yeah it's a huge outlet for me well I would love to ask you for a sample from your singing voice but I (laughs) never in a hundred years (laughs) I won't put you through that is that something you've been able to maintain while you're doing medicine and doing your residency uh you know it's been hard like I think growing up and just being at a level uh that took up you know hours of my day every day six or seven days a week and being used to that level, um, coming into even undergrad, like I took a bit of a step down and, you know, I was involved in musical and performance arts clubs, but, you know, academics was first. And then coming to med school, I had no idea what to expect uh, coming to med school and I was absolutely terrified. So that took a hard backseat. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, I still managed to like, you know, even if it's just coming home and listening to music or 
whatever. Um, you know, I was part of the jazz interest group and things oh, like cool. that. Um, you know, is I've always tried to maintain some aspect of it in my life, but it certainly has been um, a way, way, way backseat at this point in time, especially with residency. But I'm happy just singing in the shower <laughs> or singing in the car. <laughs> you ever sing in the OR? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah because we play a lot of music nice. so i definitely do nice. <laughs> quietly though yeah. under the mask <laughs> more just like humming under the mask <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh that's great um yeah that's that's awesome thanks for thanks for sharing that and that's a pretty exciting background and uh seems mm-hmm. like a pretty interesting path that led you into medical school but when you came into medical school did you have a pretty good idea or absolutely none at all of what specialty you might want to do um, yeah, so I was really obsessed with plastic surgery oh, yeah. uh, from that like age five. Um, very specifically, I wanted to be a plastic <laughs> surgeon. Uh, my parents still have evidence of like our grade one time capsule thing that we opened at graduation that I want to be a plastic no surgeon. And I don't know why. So yeah, coming into med school, I was very dead set on uh, becoming a plastic surgeon. But you know, I I was aware that this this decision had absolutely no foundation. It's not like I knew any plastic surgeons or had shadowed anything. I had no idea where it came from, probably just from watching a lot of TV. Um, so I tried to sample a lot of areas of medicine just to make sure I was certain of the path I wanted to choose. And um, I tried to shadow as much as I could, as many specialties as I could, um, and just get as much exposure as I could. And I think that's really important to sort of earn the earlier years of medical school because you have such a limited amount of time to choose your path. Um, but I think like the first decision is always, you know, is it going to be surgery or is it not going to be surgery? Mm-hmm. Cause they're very different paths to take. And I was very confident from sort of the get go of med school that surgery is what I wanted to do. I mean, at that point I was very confident it was plastics, but I was still open to the idea that it might not be, mm-hmm. but I, I, I knew that it was going to be something surgical. That's what I would want. So, right. I'm curious if you ever had a moment in medical school where you maybe doubted the, is surgery the right place? Like, did you have a rotation in a medical specialty where you're like, oh, you know what? This is pretty interesting. Yeah, I did. Uh, it wasn't wasn't medicine, but it was psych. I thought oh, psych yeah. was really interesting. Um, it was like second year, Clint Skills, we did psych, and I just loved our preceptor and our teacher. She was incredible. So I shadowed her. And I found psych very interesting, really interesting. And I think the skills you learn in psychiatry are super applicable to other areas of medicine. I mean, psychiatry is all about listening to your patients mm-hmm. and being a really good communicator. And that's transferable to anything you do. So, you know, I really did like psych. And I think I could have seen myself possibly doing psychiatry. But I knew that deep down I'd really miss the environment of the OR. But, yeah, mm-hmm. psych was a possible contender. Yeah, yeah, for a short while. <laughs> yeah, you have your mind open a little bit, right? You can't make that uh, yeah. <laughs> decision. No, no, but you have a good you've... point. Like, it's really important to have an open mm-hmm. mind because you don't know what's going to surprise you. And there's a lot of stories of my friends who, you know, were dead set on surgery and switched or were 100% confident they could never want surgery ever. And then through clerkship were exposed to the OR and changed their right. mind. So I think you going through med school, you really have to maintain an open mind and you have to be honest with yourself. For sure. Yeah, which can be tough sometimes, I find. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Because you kind of go through med school with this agenda and, you know, you kind of listen to what other people say and you want to follow that status quo and that train of yeah. thought. But at the end of the day, it's you, it's your life and it's your career and you have to be true to yourself and what makes you happy. Yeah, of course. Now, one thing I know, obviously, it wasn't what you ended up staying in, but could you give us a quick overview of what plastics actually looks like and what, what it was about that that drew you in in the first place? <laughs> I can try. I didn't do too much plastics <laughs> afterwards. Um, so what drew me into it initially, like I said, I have no idea. I was a crazy five-year-old and I don't even think I knew how to spell <laughs> plastic surgery. So absolutely no idea what drew me into it. Um, but, you know, coming into med school, I obviously shadowed plastics a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and plastics was just uh, fascinating. I think um, I think you always have to be creative as a doctor no matter what you do. But plastic surgery, the, the parts that I saw at least, um, you know, the staff and the residents, you have to have a very artistic eye, um, very attentive to detail, but that's sort of across the board in, in medicine. Um, but with things like plastics, like you're often working on someone's face, um, you're reconstructing mm-hmm. various areas of the body, like they do foot reconstructions, hand reconstructions, facial reconstructions, body wall deformity reconstructions. Patients who have severe burns, even something as what sounds as simple as a skin graft, you really have to think about 
you know, how you place the skin graft on the body. How's it going to heal? What do the seams look like? Um, I, I thought plastics was very interesting that way in the, in the sense you do get to be quite artistic. And, um, you know, the interactions that I saw with patients, often, you know, times it was the face that I saw. Oh, yeah. And, what, like, I can't think of anything more uh, important than mm-hmm. your face, right? That's what everybody sees, and it's a huge source of insecurity when there's been trauma or burns or whatnot. Um, so, you know, to have that connection with a patient when you're working on sort of the most or one of the most vulnerable areas for a person um, is incredible. And I think the creativity that they have is sensational and their um, skill and uh, sort of variability in skill is outstanding. Like they, they work everywhere. They just, they, one of the residents once said to me, and it always resonated to me, she said, the plastic surgeon is the general surgeon's general surgeon. They have oh, wow. to be able to do everything. I mean, obviously, they're not going to do bowel reconstructions or things like that. But everything right. else in the body, they have to understand. You need to know the anatomy. You need to know the nerves. You need to know the blood supply everywhere because you don't know what you're going to be dealing with in plastics. And I thought that was remarkable for plastics. Yeah. But just wasn't what I ultimately wanted to do. No, of course. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but what was it for you that ultimately led you to change your mind into, into vascular yeah, that's the money question. Uh, yeah. So in clerkship, you'll get your surg- surgery block. And then within that surgery block, you have two, um, maybe they might change it now, but you, at my time, you had two um, surgical subspecialties you were given. Um, and it's sort of a lottery, you just rank them. And I was given plastics, which is the one I wanted. And then I didn't really care what else I had because I just wanted plastics at that right. time when I did my rank list. And I was just put into vascular. And I had absolutely no clue what vascular surgery was. Never shadowed it. I've never heard of it. I had no idea what it was. Um, so when I started it, it was, you know, cool. Like I really liked the people. The first couple of days in the service were really nice. Everyone was really helpful. Saw a lot of cool surgeries. Um, one of the days we got to go into the hybrid OR, which is this incredible OR in at VGH. And it's just got this huge C arm and the lights are all dimmed. And it's just, it's like a scene from a movie. And oh, <laughs> one of the staff was playing Coldplay. No and I was like, what <laughs> is happening? Like I actually felt like I was in a TV set. It was unbelievable. Um, and that, that day was a really important day for me. Like I remember um, that was my first endovascular case that I had seen and they were repairing an aneurysm endovascularly. So no big abdominal cuts, um, just complete reconstruction and repair of the abdominal aorta and curing or treating um, an abdominal aneurysm. And seeing the body sort of underneath the C-arm is projected on this ginormous TV screen in the OR, which is also really cool. Um, seeing the anatomy in that way and looking how the body moved under the C-arm and the, you know, just the angle and, you know, you see this magical device just spontaneously, at least that's what I thought at the time, like spontaneously deploy (laughs) and perfectly inside the uh, aorta and just perfectly exclude this aneurysm and just treat it. And the whole thing is through two needle pokes in the groin. Like that's just, that blew my mind. Like it actually blew my mind. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And that was the first thing that really piqued my interest. Like, wow, I've just never seen something like this, like such a crossroads between technology, engineering, medicine, and science. Like I just, I'd never, I'd never seen something like that. And then within the same day, they did a humongous bypass for this ischemic lower leg. And it was just the biggest incision I'd ever seen. This entire guy's leg was just fully cut open. Tons of sewing, lots of meticulous work, um, and I got really, I, like the residents let me get my hands in there and help sew up the leg. I just, it was one of the most exciting days of my life. Yeah. And I remember thinking, whoa, this is pretty cool. Um, but not cool enough for me to just, you know, ditch my years of love for <laughs> plastics for. Um, but after that two-week rotation, it, would, it had been the first time in med school something had piqued my interest as much as plastics had after all the shadowing I did. But it wasn't an easy decision. Like it just took, mm-hmm. uh, it took a long, a long time for me to come to that conclusion. And I had to really think about what I liked about plastics, what I liked about vascular, and what I did not like about each of them. And thinking about my life in the future, what were the what are the things I didn't like that I'd be okay with? Right. Um, and why did I not like certain aspects of plastics? Why did I not like certain aspects of vascular? And just a lot of internal conversations and, you know, weighing pros and cons of both. Um, but ultimately for me, I mean, a lot of things went into that decision, but I think a big thing for me was being honest with myself, just coming back to that thing we were talking earlier about. Mm-hmm. I think through med school... 
I felt like I was told a lot by professors or, you know, conversations with my friends, like, oh, I want to do something with a lot of variety, a lot of generalizability, like, you know, you're seeing tons and tons and tons of different stuff every day. And I thought that's what I wanted. And I thought that was a good thing. Um, But for me, when I compared plastics to vascular, the one thing that really stood out to me was that, yeah, plastics is very general. They're working everywhere. Like Mm -hmm. they're very specific as plastic surgery. But they're doing all kinds of stuff. They're doing burns, flap reconstruction, cosmetics, um, you know, craniofacial stuff. Like there's so much stuff going on. Whereas in vascular, it was just a bit more specified and a bit more of a narrow focus for me. But still a ton of variety anatomically. You're working all over the body. You're in the abdomen. You're in the neck. You're on the toes. You're in the legs. So lots of variety anatomically. But surgical technique-wise and sort of a little bit more pathology-wise, a bit more narrowed. And at the end of the day, that's just what suited me better and what I wanted to do and where I saw my life going. And I also thought a lot about, you know, what kind of stuff do I want to get called for when I'm on call as the staff? And a ruptured aneurysm is pretty exciting or an acutely ischemic limb is pretty exciting. And you know that when you're getting that call, you're going in the hospital to operate to save someone's life or limb immediately. And that was really cool. So lots of discussions, but a lot of little things kind of added up to that big decision. Right. And definitely kind of over the period of clerkship, getting more experience seems like was really helpful. Absolutely. You learn so much about yourself during clerkship and it's, it's such an important year. Like I just cannot stress that enough. Mm -hmm. It's so important to take all the, all the experiences, you know, as best you can. Right. Do you have any advice on the best way to approach clerkship then? Um, Given that it's such a, you know, important year in the whole (laughs) decision-making process and something that personally that's coming up for us and, just over a year so yeah no this is like my favorite topic <laughs> <laughs> great my favorite topic um I do I think so like I just said clerkship is not only is it such an important year because you're learning about everything in medicine but it's such a special opportunity and such a remarkable year like never in your life will you get to be exposed to so many facets of medicine mm-hmm. and surgery and everything with pretty much no responsibility and very, very few expectations. The point of you going through clerkship is to be exposed to as much as you can, soak up as much as you can as a sponge, and just learn what you want and what makes you happy. And there's, you know, you're part of a team and you don't, you have lots of direct patient exposure, but not a ton of direct responsibility. Sure, you'll be given tasks because you're part of the team. But the expectations and the responsibility is quite low as a clerk. Mm-hmm. Something I did not know, I was terrified to be a clerk. But now as a resident, looking back on it, I can see the differences. <laughs> um, so I think my advice for clerkship is just try your hardest to just let go of those anxieties and those jitters before the new, you know, the start of clerkship or the start of a new rotation. I mean, it's easier said than done. I had them every single time and my anxiety basically consumed me. Of course. But if I had to go back and do it all again, I would just try my hardest to really put those to rest because what every staff and every resident wants you to get out of clerkship is to enjoy yourself, experience the rotation you're on and what it has to offer and put yourself in the future. Really look at that rotation say, is this what I want to do? Is this what I love? Um, in the good times and the bad, because you will have both on all rotations and just take, you know, every experience and every opportunity you can um, and just enjoy it. It's just such a special year and a year you'll never have again. So really just enjoy it. Enjoy it as much as you can, because it's such a great experience. I wish this is one of those times where I wish it wasn't a radio show <laughs> and like people could see that I'm just, I'm just smiling this is that's <laughs> wonderful advice <laughs> well I'm happy to say it as I say it to everybody as often as I can yeah we'll just put it on loop <laughs> <You're> sure <laughs> <laughs> anytime we're gonna listen to this episode a year from now and yeah. kind of get like fired up going into the first day of clerkship oh, it's just the best <laughs> it's just the best year and just you know remember that because you'll yeah. get the anxiety and that's normal I mean it's totally normal but just try your best to just have fun and just soak it all up yeah it's a pretty unique experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then clerkship finishes, you do your electives, um, and then there's the big daunting CARMS process mm-hmm. that comes up. So did you uh, personally only apply to vascular surgery for CARMS? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, this is such a good, such a great topic, you guys, like such good questions. Um, I applied to vascular as well as general surgery. 
Um, you know, I, I had pretty much con- like I had dedicated myself to vascular by the time I got to fourth year for sure. Um, but I was super concerned the year prior to me, vascular was insanely competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was scared as I think anybody would be. Um, and vascular used to be a branch of general surgery. So it used to okay. be, you could go through your five years of general surgery, finish that, and then do a two year fellowship in vascular. Um, but then in the, in the last decade or so, maybe just under the last 10 years, um, in Canada and the States, vascular has become, uh, what they call direct entry program. Okay. So you just do five years of vascular surgery and then you're done. However, there are still certain schools in Canada and in the States that take a vascular fellow after completing general surgery. So to kind of give myself, uh, sort of like a backdoor entry into vascular, if need be, I also applied to general surgery in case, um, direct, the direct entry vascular didn't work out for me. Right. Right. That makes sense. Um, and mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, isn't abundantly clear, at least after, after a year of how all of the, the intricacies of the CARMS process end up working out. Nothing's and clear about CARMS. <laughs> no, no, it's all a black box. You just throw it in and hope just it pumps hope out a the match. Best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, do you know, this is maybe kind of a random question, but do you know if the process is a little bit different at all for the surgical specialties or if there's maybe a bit of a different approach versus some of the medical specialties? You know, I really, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I think the process of CARMS is pretty much the same no matter what you're applying to, but don't quote me on that for sure. Yeah. I think maybe the difference is for some of the smaller subspecialties, maybe they might maybe have more sort of focused or direct questions. And I would bet that the interview process is much different um, in the sense that when I had my interviews for vascular, every interview I had, I had met the people on electives. I had met all the staff. So it wasn't so, I mean, it was still very daunting. Do not get me wrong. I was very stressed and anxious. Um, but I at least had recognized the faces. I knew yeah, the people were from face. electives. Yeah. Whereas on something much larger, like family or internal medicine, or maybe even gen surge, um, you might not know the person interviewing you just because there's so many people who apply and also so many people who work in that specialty. But I think the whole process of the application is probably similar across the board. Right. Right. And so with vascular then specifically, um, are they typically smaller programs per in the school? Like, are there only a few vascular residents per year? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you'll see that with like the smaller subspecialties, they just take less people because the demand is typically less. Right. Uh, so speaking to vascular, I know in my year, there was only, I think there was maybe nine spots across the country. Oh, wow. Yeah, they only take one resident per program, except for U of T takes two residents. And not every school in Canada even has a vascular training program. And some of the schools in Canada that do have a vascular training program, they alternate between taking a direct entry one year and then the next year taking a general surgery surgery fellow. So you kind of have to figure out how many seats are in your year based on what they took last year. Um, And then, like I said, no schools east of Quebec have any direct entry training programs. Right. Yeah. So it just adds to the black box. <laughs> it does. And it, you, I mean, for anything you do in CARMS, you have to do a bit of legwork. Like I did call a lot of programs and ask like, because I couldn't find the information. I would just call and right. ask, you know, did you have, was a fellow taken last year or is there a seat this year? And so you got to do a bit of legwork, but um, you know, you figure it out as you go along. Yeah. I guess because it worked so well last time I asked this, I'm just curious, do you have any, any tidbits of advice for the CARMS <laughs> process? <laughs> oh, Make us do feel I great. ever. <laughs> I think CARMS is another thing, um, you know, obviously a high stress time, mm-hmm. understandably, I can't think of a more stressful time in CARMS. You I mean, you're choosing your career. It's terrifying. No questions. Yeah. And But we all have to go through it and we all survive. Um, my piece of advice, I think the, the application itself, it's like on a website portal. And when you log in, there's like a whole bunch of demographic information you have to put in. You basically have to put in your entire CV into a new format. You have to reformat your whole CV, put that in. Like there's just a ton of busy work at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did is as soon as CARMS opened up the CARMS portal, I would just kind of get on that portal right away and just finish that busy work. That doesn't take any thinking. Like you don't have to think about anything. You're inputting your demographics and your address and all that crap. Like right. just, you know, get all that stuff out of the way. Um, and it opens up before your electives actually start. So you can get a pretty good leg up on that and just get it done well before you're pretty stressed. And then the other sort of half of the CARMS application is your personal essays for each program you apply to. You write an essay basically answering the question, why do you want to go here and why do you want to do this program? And that for me, like I'm a very weak writer. 
So that for me was uh, my biggest source of stress because I'm not the greatest writer. So I would just sort of, I started early, kind of had like a running word document and kind of creating this, you know, basis of an essay about why I want to do vascular surgery, because that can be applicable to all the essays. And then the second paragraph or the second section of why this school, um, I would just change for each school. But every time I did an elective, I would try to jot something down. Like I'm not saying writing in full sentences because I just didn't do that and I'm a little (laughs) bit lazy. Um, but just jotting down some things like, you know, what stood out to the program. Was there a cool case I had during the program or my elective there, sorry. Um, was there something specific I liked? Um, just so I could, you know, go back to it when I write the actual paragraph for that school. And also for the interviews, because sometimes in some of the interviews, they'll ask you, like, what did you enjoy about your time here? What did you not enjoy about your time here? Or what do you not like about our program? So just having some details just jotted down, I found very helpful. But just having like a running Word document that I'm constantly adding to, I found quite quickly I was done kind of my draft one of most of my essays by the time I was, you know, near my last elective. Oh, yeah. So it actually did take quite a bit of stress off me because I didn't have to do too much writing as I had already had pieced together, you know, some semblance of an essay. So that took some of the stress off of me. So I wasn't, you know, you know, at the finish line hurrying to finish these otherwise important essays. Right. Yeah, right. but it's it's hard. It's hard to do that. <laughs> no, of course. I would do it on flights, like in between electives, because you know during the days, you know, waking up at some ungodly hour for rounds and coming home late and tired. There's no way I was going to work. There's just right. no way. So I usually did it on flights or on the ferry or something like that. Well, that's a good idea. So just to move away from the stress personified that is CARMS, um, <laughs> back to your decision on vascular surgery. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing that we don't really hear a lot about during medical school and something where the resources seem almost non-existent is the job market of various specialties after you Mm -hmm. graduate your residency. Was that something that played into your decision at all? And how much of an impact should that have on the way that people choose? That's such a good question. Um, You know, it didn't really play into my decision. I mean, you ask as a med student, you totally ask. And I certainly asked residents, too, about what they thought the job market's like. But it's so hard to predict. It's just, it's, it's, it's almost impossible. I mean, best case scenario, you finish your five-year residency and you get a job right away. But that's five years and you have no idea how the job market's going to change. And you don't know what you're going to change, how you're going to change either. Maybe True. during your, your residency, you really enjoy one facet of that specialty and you actually want to do a fellowship somewhere else. You don't have to, you just want to. So that's now seven years. And in some situations, to get a job, you have to do a fellowship. So that's, again, seven years. And how could anybody anybody predict the job market and how it's going to change in you know five to ten years? It's almost impossible. That being said, there is some historical data of you know various specialties that have been notoriously known to be difficult to get jobs in. Um, but I don't know. I think it didn't play into my decision very much um, because at the end of the day, for me, it's more important to do what you love. And if it takes longer to get there, well, then so be it. Mm-hmm. But at least when I get there, I'll know that I'll be happy. And that was more worth it to me than choosing something that would have been easier to get a job, but I not I might not have been necessarily as fulfilled. Because we all work super hard to achieve already what we have achieved and what we want to achieve. So I think it's important to focus on what's going to give you happiness in your career because you work so hard for it. So you, you deserve that. But... If, you know, getting a job is really important to you, then, you know, take that into consideration, too. And there's no wrong answer. But I didn't take it into consideration for me. Well, thank you for sharing those inspiring words. I'd just like (laughs) to pedal back to your comments on third year and how you advise enjoying it because you have almost no responsibility. Um, But like, as Mm -hmm. we all know, once you become a... But I mean that in a nice way, not like a mean way. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that could come off very mean. You have no responsibility, so just do whatever you want. (laughs) Do whatever you want. (laughs) But as we all know, once you become a resident, Mm -hmm. your responsibility dramatically ramps up. Mm -hmm. So how did you deal with this initial increase in responsibility? Yeah, um, you know, there's definitely a shift. However... I don't want to water this down, but like less of a shift than I thought it would be because you shift from fourth year med student to first year resident and there's still a second year resident ahead of you, a third year resident ahead of you, a fourth, a fifth and staff. So there's still a responsibility ladder and people know you're a first year resident. Um, But you know, at the end of the day, if you're admitting somebody, no one's going to check over your admissions orders because you're a first year resident. That being said, 
if you're concerned about admissions orders or you have a question about the admissions orders, no one will ever fault you for asking for help or asking to look over them. So I think um, I think the responsibility change kind of comes a little bit on on you to have the sort of insight and self-awareness to know when to ask for help. Because I think there's this conceived notion that, oh, I'm a resident, I should know what I'm doing, and I should know the dose of this medication, or I should know how to manage mm -hmm. this. But I don't really think anybody expects that, especially in first year. Maybe when you get higher up in residency, that changes. But I think in first year, people who work above you and people who work with you expect you to know how to be safe. And I think that's the biggest responsibility shift is um, you are a little bit more independent and you, but you still need to know when to be safe and um, you know, when it's appropriate to ask for help um, and when's appropriate just to be like, Oh, you know what? It's just a dose of Tylenol. I feel like I can probably just look it up instead of asking my staff for what's the dose of Tylenol, just kind of reading the room. But at the end of the day, um, yeah, there's you have more independence as a first year resident, but it's it's slow. Like you know, your first day, you're not going to feel as confident as you will your last day of first year residency, and everybody knows that. So, I think um, yeah, there's a responsibility change, but it's about being safe and knowing when to ask for help. I think that's one of the biggest things that stood out to me. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing the background of your transition. Could you now tell us what the day to day of a vascular surgeon resident is like? Yeah, totally. Uh, so my day pre-COVID, things are a bit different now. Let's talk about general non-pandemic day-to-days. So the day-to-day, -day, um, for us, most surgical specialties probably start rounds around 6 a.m. Um, I mean, there's some variability in that, but for us, it starts around 6. So get to the hospital around 5.45, print out the lists, um, check up on any urgent things, um, you know, get sort of the day organized. So rounds will go until around 7 o'clock or so. OR starts around 7.30, so that half-hour window is a good time to get food. If you haven't gotten food, sort of get prepped, prepped for the OR, look at the scans. If you haven't seen the scans, um, you know, if there's small tasks to do on the ward, such as getting patients prepped for discharge or getting CT scans ordered or getting extra lab work ordered, getting all those sort of busy chores out of the way before the OR starts. Um, and then getting down to the OR. ORs typically start around 7.30 or 8. Um, so, you know, heading into the OR and just sort of talking to your fellow senior residents and sort of determining what, what you're going to do for the day, what the case is about. Um, usually there'll be a little bit of teaching somewhere in there, uh, just, you know, exposures or anatomy or pathologies. There's usually some kind of teaching before the OR starts, just kind of casual, nothing, nothing really you know, scheduled. And then it's just about spending the day in the OR if you're not on call and learning what you can and getting your hands in there as best you can. And then if you are on call, um, by the time the OR starts, there's usually a couple pages already. So it's a bit harder to get into the OR. Um, it's more about managing the pager, seeing consults, dividing up tasks and um, getting the work done that comes as the day rolls by. Um, and then once you're once you can, uh, if you're on call, escape to the OR as fast as possible because that's where we all want to be at the end of the day. <laughs> and then ORs at VGH at least end around 4:30. Um, and then at, after that, we just sort of run the list as a team, see what chores were done in the morning, what has to has to be done still, what we need to check up on. You know that CT scan we ordered at 7 a.m. Is it done? What did it show? What are we going to do next? What are we going to do about it? And then just tidying up the tidying up the ward and tidying up the things before the end of the day. And sometimes, sometimes it's really nice. Sometimes we're out of there by five o'clock. Other days, you know, you're getting pounded by consults. You have two people in the merge waiting. You got a patient being sent from clinic. You got somebody on the ward who's not doing so well. And sometimes the days can go a bit longer. So it's sort of hard to figure out when you're going to, when you're going to go home. But the seniors are really good about trying to get people who are not on call home by, you know, around five or six o'clock. So that's the day to day of an R1. How does it change throughout the five years? Uh, yeah, so at least in our program, um, the more senior you get, sort of the less responsibility you take managing the ward. Um, I think as an R1 and an R2, it's your job to get really proficient at managing the ward, managing sick patients, seeing sick patients, coming up with plans for sick patients while the seniors are in the operating room getting better at their, that third technique and their skill. So as you progress through uh, residency, at least what I've seen so far, is the seniors spend more time in the operating room getting more hands-on training um, for the more intricate parts of the procedure and uh, less time doing sort of the nitty-gritty management sort of scut work, if you will, um, that the juniors take care of. 
So I want to ask what always seems to be one of the toughest questions to answer. Um, can you tell us what you like most about your residency and more importantly, what you dislike most about the residency <sighs> and the specialty? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is actually a really tough question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost impossible to tell you what I, what I like about the residency because I like so much so much mm -hmm. about it. I, man, I love the people. I love the patients. I love the procedures. Like I love everything. I, I just genuinely really do enjoy going it, to it work. It seems like that's always how people describe their residency when we're doing this show. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun. Like you, it's just so much fun. Um, I, and I think being so fresh and so new, it's still sometimes like, I'm just so sort of <laughs> sort of surprised that I get to do this like it's just amazing um man I just I, I really do love everything about residency even the times that I, I feel like I'm having a bad day or I'm just sort of sick and tired of stuff you know you'll just have one experience and you'll just you'll be in the OR and you're you know your your hands are holding back someone's entire small bowel and I just realized like oh my god like <laughs> look at what I'm doing like, this is unbelievable what a privilege so I think um I really do enjoy most aspects of residency but obviously for me I, I love being in the OR like I really do even those long tiresome cases when you finish that case like it feels so good and to know that you know patient that patient came in with an ischemic limb or a you know stenosed carotid artery and you fixed that I mean maybe not me directly because I was just suctioning but you know the staff was who someday hopefully I become fixed that like that's unbelievable so I love being in the OR I just love it but I love other aspects of it too. And then what I don't like about it, that's way harder to answer. Um, this gives people a rounded view on it. No, it's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think about what I don't like it. about vascular. Do you want something vascular specific? It's, it, it doesn't really matter. It could, it could be specific yeah, to like vascular or to surgery in general, because I think that's something that's also like sort of stigmatized against. So. I mean, you're asking the wrong person because I'm very biased. I love surgery <laughs> and all the all the bad things that come with it. I like it. <laughs> um, oh man, that's a tough question. Should have asked me this in advance so I could have prepared something. I don't know. Yeah. I guess. Um, oh man, I, I would say like maybe the unpredictable nature of it. Like sometimes. But I know that's a bad answer because even when I'm not on call and a very exciting case comes in, I would rather stay to see that exciting case than go go home. Right. But, you know, sometimes I, I would suppose if you had made plans for something or you want to go do something and it's a bit unpredictable and maybe sometimes you feel like you should stay, maybe that wouldn't be great for some people. But for me, like I said, I, I would actually rather stay at work. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's not what I, it's, right. I don't really mind that aspect, but I think s some people would not like that aspect yeah. of it is surgery can sometimes be much more unpredictable than other fields of medicine for sure. And cases can go wrong mm -hmm. and you can be stuck there way longer than you anticipate for, you know, anything. And yeah, a lot of the time you're going to have to put these surgeries before everything else. Yeah, you do. You do at the end of the day, because if somebody needs an urgent surgery, uh, you you got to deal with that. You got to be there. So that leads really well into what I'd like to talk about next, which is just this sort of stigma around surgical residencies among medical students. There's just this idea that they're totally life-consuming, brutally difficult, and maybe even host to a toxic culture. Have you had any experiences with these stereotypes, or are they just that, stereotypes? Yeah, um, I mean, we've all heard those. I've heard those. Everyone's heard those. You see them on TV all the time. Um, I don't think that's really a big surprise. But for me personally, I have never once experienced that from an attending. Mm. Um, I think people always have this idea that surgical attendings are going to yell at you or, you know, be cruel or whatnot. And, you know, there are certain attendings that maybe aren't as chatty as others, maybe not as warm as others. But you know, you just see that and you just act appropriately. So, you know, don't, you know, talk as much in the OR and, you know, ask appropriate questions, but don't start chatter or conversation. But I've, I've personally never had, you know, one of those bad stereotypical experiences. That being said, I do have friends who have, and I think, you know, maybe they do exist still, but I would say confidently they're going the rate of those happening is, is going down significantly. I think there's a huge push in the surgical 
culture now to really change that. Um, a lot of residents love having learners. They really want that changed. And I, none of us believe that stigma. Um, it's, it is a different environment, but I mean, I had, I had weird times on medicine too that I didn't really like or had staff on, you know, medicine that I didn't really like. And I had staff that I loved on medicine and there was electives I had in surgery that, you know, yeah, that, that surgeon has a temper, but it's not just because they're a surgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just who they are. But I never had anything direct to me necessarily. And I, I think that culture is starting to shift. So working along a similar vein, for the people who never believe these myths in the first place and know they want to do surgery, do you have any advice for choosing a subspecialty of surgery that's right for them? Yeah, totally. Um, the answer is shadow. You just got to get out there. You have to expose yourself to as much as you can and as often as you can. Um, you know, even small things like get a suture kit. Do you like suturing? You know, do you enjoy that? Obviously, no one's good at it when you're first mm-hmm. starting to learn it, but you like that challenge. <laughs> Um, but I think shadowing is super important. Um, there are lots of things in, in the surgical world that I never shadowed and I just never got exposure to. I never, I've never seen an ENT case. I've never seen a urology case. There's lots of stuff I've never seen, um, despite uh, shadowing quite a bit in first and second year and continuing to shadow throughout clerkship when I could. That being said, when I was in clerkship, I was shadowing more vascular because I was really kind of tossing up between plastics and vascular at that time. But um, yeah, you have to just expose yourself as much as you can. And I know, um, at least in vascular, we allow medical students to shadow residents um, and staff. So I don't know if that's oh, cool. the case for all other surgical specialties, but people people are very happy to have med students come shadow. It's, it's no problem. So just reaching out to staff and not being scared to email people that you don't know and get that exposure. That's awesome. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to look look forward to shadowing when when we're able to now. Yes, um, hopefully that's yeah. COVID's kind of putting a <laughs> hopefully soon, but know. bigger fish to fry on that front. Mm-hmm, yeah, uh, but that's a, I think that's a really useful thing for us to to know moving forward that it's really the only way you can get the exposure to some of those clinical uh, settings, right? Absolutely. And, I mean, Aiden already called me out for never being in an OR before, but uh, <laughs> sorry to do that to you. <laughs> maybe maybe sometime soon. <laughs> And even uh, if you think you don't, even if you think you don't like surgery, you don't, you know, you like, can never see yourself in sh- surgery, shadow it anyways. Yeah. Make sure. Because you don't know. Make sure. You have no idea. I'm, I'm curious of, so thinking about this, so again, never been in an OR. So the first time that you're actually involved in a surgery, mm-hmm. I just think about like the first time you're either like obviously making a cut or like actually having your hand mm-hmm. <laughs> involved in a surgery. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Okay, I can remember two like early experiences. So the first time I scrubbed ever, I was, I think I was, man, it must have been within the first week or two of med school. Like it was super early. I was very keen to shadow surgery. (laughs) Um, And I had no idea what I was doing, obviously. And so this resident, she very nicely taught me how to scrub and I was shadowing gen surge at St. Paul's. um, And I walked in. And my hands were like so awkwardly high up in the air. Like I was just so scared <laughs> to touch anything. I was so, so terrified. Um, and as soon as I opened the door, I touched the door and had to restart scrubbing all over yep. again. And the scrub nurse like made it very obvious. She was like, no, you just touch the door. Like go start again. So I was so embarrassed. Like nobody cares. Like nobody cared. Um, so that was funny. And then the first time that I actually got to suture a human, um, I had practiced, I bought a suture kit like the day I got accepted to med school, basically. <laughs> I was super excited. Um, so I had, you know, I had a little bit of skill. I'm not saying I was good by any means, but I was okay on my little practice foamy pad. And I was shadowing plastics and one of the plastics resident let me um, close the skin. Uh, the last case of the day. And he's like, you know, take your time. And the tremor I had, it was yeah. <laughs> unlike anything you've ever seen before. It was just crazy. <laughs> I was so shaky and so nervous. And I remember apologizing. I just, I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> it's like, you know what? It's okay. We all have a tremor. Even we have tremors as senior residents and they, you know, they go away with time, but um, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And he was just so kind and helpful and taught me like little skills to minimize the tremor and resting my hand on the table as opposed to holding it way up in the air which is where right. it was and I was so scared but it's it's normal right it's a big first step and you know you don't get to see the human body in the way that you do in the OR and it's a totally totally new thing so everyone was very happy and very nice about it yeah I imagine it was nice to kind of normalize that process too because I'm mm-hmm. sitting here like finishing my 20 ounces of coffee that I have yeah. a day and <laughs> yeah. worrying about like how am I gonna hold steady 
But. I have tons of coffee every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I still get a tremor in the OR. Like when I, if I'm doing something new or something I'm not entirely comfortable with, like I will notice a huge tremor. And, you know, I've learned these little tricks along the way to minimize that. And it helps. And I've, I see staff who have slight tremors too. It's not, it's not the end of the world. We're all human. Yeah. Um, I think the difference is when you're attending or a senior resident, you just have so many years of practice under your belt. You can accommodate for it better and it's not so new. Whereas when I have a tremor, it looks like I'm like, like there's an earthquake in my body. Like it's just crazy. So, but everyone's, everyone's just so understanding and it's, it's a huge learning curve and everyone's aware of that. Right. Right. But it feels amazing. (laughs) Oh, I can imagine. (laughs) Um, now I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And this is the whole point. <laughs> yeah. um, so you mentioned one thing you mentioned a couple times um, are fellowships. And I know that's a little bit of a ways away for mm-hmm. you. But could I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how like, what those are and, and how that works. Yeah, I can give it a whirl. Um, so fellowship is basically like uh, more training in a more specialized area that you've already been trained in. So for example, general surgery has a ton of fellowships because general surgery, as it sounds, is very general. They have to know everything. They have to know trauma. They have to know breast. They have to know abdominal. They have to know everything general surgery does. So when you go through your five-year residency of general surgery, if you want to do something specific and you just want your practice to be maybe colorectal surgery, dealing with colon cancers and, you know, colon removals and things like that, um, you're going to do a fellowship training just on colorectal surgery as opposed okay. to doing trauma, as opposed to doing breast and sort of repeating all the things that fall under the huge umbrella of general surgery. It's just more training that's much more focused uh, in a field of, of that specialty. Right. Is that something you would consider doing in the future or guess kind of see how the next number of years go? Yeah, I mean, one thing that's nice about vascular is there's not actually too many fellowships within it. Um, As I said a little bit earlier on, vascular is much more of a narrow field. So comparing it to plastics, for example, you can do a fellowship in all kinds of stuff in plastics. You can do hand, cosmetics, breast, lots of stuff, Mm -hmm. um, craniofacial, things like that. But in vascular, it's already a much more narrow field. So there's not a ton of fellowships for further training. Most of the fellowships that we have, from my understanding, and I, I haven't looked too much into this, but from what I understand, a lot of the fellowships are sort of more complex aortic stuff, so complex aortic reconstructions, large thoraco-abdominal aortic aneurysms, uh, complex endovascular procedures, um, things a bit more next level uh, okay. you could do a fellowship in. But vascular surgery, when you finish your five years residency, you kind of need to know everything that's in the specialty because it's kind of narrow enough but some people later will change their practice to do maybe just just veins and vein pathology and that could be a fellowship um whereas some people might tailor their practice a bit more to complex aortic stuff um but most of what i've seen even the people that maybe do mainly complex aortic work still do the bread and butter of vascular surgery they'll still do the carotid endarterectomies they'll still do the ischemic limbs but they just have an extra sort of facet to their practice that's even more you know, a little bit next level. Right. Right. So it's just a, like a hyper specialization kind of thing. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of. That makes sense. Um, so one thing you've mentioned, so you finish residency, maybe do a fellowship and then you become an attending surgeon. Um, and you've mentioned this a little bit, um, but do you have an idea of what the lifestyle looks like for an attending vascular surgeon? Um, I, okay. So I think I mean, I don't know for sure. Right, right, right. <laughs> we're jumping kind the of, gun a bit. We're kind of jumping the gun. But just kind of based on what I saw in my electives as a fourth year, I think the lifestyle is a little bit dependent on where you work, at least for vascular surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of depends on how you want to do your practice. Like I was in certain sites um, on electives. And if, let's just say, you know, surgeon A does surgery all that day but isn't on call, but one of their patients who had surgery that day needs to be taken back to the operating room. Even if surgeon A isn't on call, they will still come back in and they will take their own patient back to the OR. Whereas I I was on other electives where if you're not on call, you don't come in. Even if it's your patient's post-op complication, you trust the vascular surgeon on call to fix that. Um, I mean, they always will call the attending who did that surgery as a heads up or whatnot, and they can come if they want to come in. Um, But I think... I think for the most part, sort of for the most part, from what I saw, 
vasosurgeons will tend to come in for their own patient complications, like if it's a take back that day, but if it's multiple weeks later, not necessarily. Right. Um, but I think the life of a, of a staff surgeon in vascular surgery, um, I think it's okay lifestyle-wise. Like I said, like the beauty of vascular is when you're on call, it's such a narrow field. Sometimes you don't get any calls at night, and I've had a couple call shifts even when I haven't had a single page overnight. Um, but then there's other nights when, you know, stuff's going down and things are getting crazy. <laughs> you as the attending, you are coming in and you are doing life or limb surgery that night, no matter right. what it is. But that's an exciting feature. Like I would much rather come into the hospital in the middle of the night as an attending knowing I'm going to do an absolute emergency procedure that night to save somebody's life or save somebody's limb versus coming in as an attending and doing a surgery because I have to, not necessarily because it's it's urgent, just because I'm on call and I have to be there. So, you know, that's a nice aspect to it. But I think the lifestyle is okay. Um, no matter what you do in surgery, you will always have certain times in your life when you're going to have to make a sacrifice. But that's, I think, no matter what, if you're in medicine, yeah. for the most part, it might be a bit different in surgery. Like I said, some of that unpredictable nature. But um, I think I think the lifestyle is okay. You just have to be willing to, you know, work around some of the unpredictable aspects. Yeah, of course. Well, Alexa, again, thank you so much for demystifying this specialty that is likely not on a lot of people's <laughs> initial radar. Mm-hmm. Before we end, is there any general piece of advice you'd like to just give everybody? Um, other than the tons of stuff I've already said <laughs> on my soapbox. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring the soapbox back one last time. Yeah. Third time's the charm. Um, <laughs> I would just say, well, first, I just want to tell you guys, like, this is such a great project and such a great idea. So congratulations to you two for putting this out there. It's going to be so useful. I wish this existed when I was starting. Um, but for all, you know, all the med students um, earlier on, like first or second year, as I said already multiple times, shadow as much as you can. Even if you're convinced you're, you don't want to do a merge, shadow it anyways and make sure you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming into clerkship, be true to yourself. Keep a very open mind. Show up on time. Have a good attitude and just be willing to soak in as many experiences and opportunities as you can because it's just such a wonderful year. And fourth year, everyone goes through CARMS. Everyone's going to be stressed and anxious, but we all do it. Mm-hmm. You have lots of support. You will get through it. Um, you know, just manage your time as best you can. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think we'll end it on that positive note. Um, and that's it for our episode today. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Mordhorst. Oh, I just thank like you so much. Say... Please call me Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us, Alexa. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah. <clears throat> and good luck in all your future yeah. endeavors. Thanks so Thanks much. Thanks to you guys, too. And thank you for listening to Metamorphosis. You can check out more of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 